If you think perhaps you're depressed or feeling overwhelmed and anxious, who isn't these days? BetterHelp Online Counseling offers licensed professional therapists trained to listen and help with these issues, including, I mean, just the usual mental health spectrum, anxiety, grief, depression, family conflicts, difficulty sleeping, self-esteem, relationship issues. You fill out a questionnaire to assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with your counselor in under 48 hours. Now, I never used the service myself, but from people whom I very much respect, I've heard some excellent reports. You schedule your secure video or phone sessions, plus exchange unlimited messages to communicate with your therapist at your convenience. Everything you share, of course, is confidential. And if for any reason you're unhappy with your counselor, you can request a new one anytime, no additional charge. Join the 1 million plus people who've taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced BetterHelp counselor. BetterHelp is an affordable option, and our listeners get 10% off your first month with the discount code DREW. Again, get started at betterhelp.com slash DREW. Talk to a therapist online and get help. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. Uh, please support those that support us. We appreciate it very much. We try to select things very carefully and it keeps wind in the sail of the Corolla Pirate Ship. Uh, uh, listen, you can find me at drdrew.tv and YouTube slash Dr. Drew. We do a daily stream. Also, uh, don't forget about After Dark. It's all essentially over at drdrew.com. Uh, I want to get up and get some calls going here right off the top. Uh, let's go straight out to uh, John. John, what's going on? How's it going, Dr. Drew? Hey, man, it's good. Good. Uh, I just wanted to kind of call for say congratulations on, I believe, new board position that you had done with uh, UBC to a uh, penny stock company that we have. I'm actually a distributor uh, with Optech. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, that that uh, the I wand is what I'm excited about. I carry that damn. I carry that with me everywhere I go. Except today, I left it in my bathroom, and my wife just called <laughs> me and said, "Get a picture of yourself well, I wanding everything." You're always I wanting stuff. I was like. I, but anyway, here's here's the bottom line. Uh, this, this there are a few things that sort of, you know, things like iPhones that sort of change your life. This this is one of those things, and I hope that people uh, don't forget when COVID is over that infectious diseases are really a serious thing. And uh, I, for me, it it made me sort of top of mind think about using UVC as a way of sterilizing. My wife and I have been doing it on planes forever. Uh, and uh, the optic guys came along with the I one. I'm like, I, this thing is this is the top. Of the, this is it. This is the instrument that I'm going to be using. It just fits in my pocket, and it it it, it uh, sterilizes a large surface area. Those of you who don't know, UVC is uh, very effective in killing bacteria and viruses. And if you're running around, you know, rubbing Clorox over all the surfaces when you get on a plane, you still miss lots of the surfaces, particularly when you pull your the computer out, you know, or the screen in front of you, or the uh, tray table up, and uh, UVC is a is a perfect way to uh, sterilize the area. So uh, I use this uh, I want, and um, you know, just take a look it up. I just uh, I just think going online is a reasonable place to uh, just look. Just Google it, and you'll find it right away. Thanks, John. Appreciate the call. Uh, next up, uh, this is Oscar. What's up, Oscar? Dr. Drew in the hizzy. Hey, man, what's happening? Say that. In the hizzy. Uh, you. So I come from a long line of alcoholics mm-hmm. in my family. Mm-hmm. Good times. And, yeah, well, always good times. Not really, but, you know. And since 8.45 p.m., April 4th, I have been sitting in my apartment working from home. And... Because I've been basically self-quarantining, like we're supposed to do, uh, not talking, uh, not talking to anybody or going anywhere. Uh, I am noticing that uh, because I can get everything delivered to my apartment, including alcohol, that I am drinking a bit more than I would like. Right, and you are, you are not alone. You are not. You are not alone. Yeah. So substance yeah. use is up dramatically. So I'm guessing when yeah. you say a little more, it's probably quite a bit more. Well, when you can get it delivered, yeah. You know, what can you do? So, what do you, what do you, what are you good for overnight? Um, at least a couple cocktails. So we're talking about hard liquor, eight ounces. Uh, at the minimum, yes. Right. 
And, and do you have any? Do you drink all through the night? Do you drink in the morning? Uh, since I'm working from home, I when I'm done with my work shift, I that's when my happy hour starts, and it's usually like uh, I usually two hours before I go to bed. So I all right. So let's let's be honest. We're yeah. talking about like a half of a fifth, right? Um. Possibly, yes. Yeah, okay. So about a half a fifth every night. And uh, that will very yeah. quickly go to a fifth. Trust me. Uh, that will yeah. that will get there yeah. very quickly. And at a, in a fifth a day, you're hurting yourself badly. Yeah. At a half yeah. a fifth, you might be hurting yourself badly. Um, and that my concern is even at that level that you're drinking, you could have significant withdrawal symptoms. So do you, are you shaking in the morning? Do you ever uh, take a hit to sort of um, get that under control in the morning? No, I don't drink. I, I just confine myself to meetings. Yeah. Once, once, right. Once so that's uh, that's morning. you. That's you making deals with yourself. Like, well, if I keep it yeah. just in the evening, I really don't have a problem. But, but you're honest, yeah. and you're saying, eh, "This is way more than I want to be drinking. It's probably hurting me. I'm 56 years old. I, you know, liver is not uh, that of a 20 year old." And uh, you're right. You're going to get alcoholic liver disease in all probability in you know a few months. So the question is, can you safely stop without uh, a doctor's supervision? And, and I don't know that yet. So you might want to talk to your doctor about what you should be doing. Sometimes they can give you stuff to help at home. You definitely yeah. need some you know, vitamins and magnesium and things that get depleted yeah. from all the alcohol, thiamine, folate. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm taking lots of supplements. Yeah, so. well, make sure you're at least uh, two, 300 milligrams of thiamine, at least a milligram of folic acid, uh, at least uh, 500 of magnesium at least. Uh, and some of that might not get absorbed because the alcohol sort of prevents that absorption. So you got to kind of push it a little bit. And then you got to talk about to somebody about how to stop. And it, if you're, you know, if you have alcohols in your family and you're drinking at this level, it tends not to stop on its own. You have to do something very, very active. And the good news is, you know, in the day of COVID, Zoom meetings are on every corner. You just could look at, just look up AA Zoom meeting. And there's, I yeah. promise you, one that'll be uh, starting in about 15 minutes, um, and just kind of drop in. You're you're in this kind of contemplative phase right now, where you're like, I think I should be doing less. I'm not really happy with what yeah. I'm doing. Uh, you may not be ready to really stop. You may not be ready to really do all the work as necessary to stop. But you're at least thinking about it. So usually, when yeah. people kind of drop in on the meetings, it does help them kind of move in the right direction. Yeah. No. Let me. Can I ask another question? If I'm talking to you, yeah. Uh, and now I have a job, and it's a government job, and it's stressful. And I think part of the increase in my drinking is uh, my job-related stress. Uh, uh, and I'm kind of, I, I, and I think this is a lot, lot to do with my increase in drinking because the job has become super stressful because we're having to deal with all sorts of things we don't normally have to deal with on this particular job. <laughs> Uh, what's a good way to kind of get rid of that other than quitting the job, of course? Well, again, uh, you you opened with, I'm drinking because yeah. I'm alone. Then it went to, I'm drinking because yeah. I can get it delivered. Now it's, I'm drinking yeah. because I'm anxious. There's always a reason yeah. to drink. So the drinking's got to stop. Yeah. I don't care what the reason is. So, There's always a reason to drink. So, Next, it'll be, I'm drinking because so. I'm celebrating. There's always a reason. Yeah. Now, the yeah. alcohol makes anxiety worse over time. So mm -hmm. so the yeah. first thing in terms of helping your anxiety is not drinking because it actually escalates the anxiety and the dysregulation. I know it feels like it's making it better, but it works against you in terms of what's happening in your central nervous system. So, you know, and and the very process of 12-step, which I'm sort of pushing you towards and you may or may not want to do yeah. that, but that process is designed to manage anxiety and depression because guess what everybody feels when they stop drinking? Anxiety and depression. Or what everybody feels when they are drinking. Anxiety and depression. Yeah. So so yeah. the whole process of that fellowship is designed to help you with that. So there's that. Uh, and uh, I'm just thinking about – and the, the, the phenomenon of stress at work, you know, you can take that to the meetings or to a therapist. And you can also get Zoom therapy too. You can get some cognitive behavioral therapy and stuff. I mean there's a lot of stuff online now. CBT particularly, which it's cognitive behavioral therapy, which does – work pretty well for, for alcoholism, is available easily online, uh, and that stuff's available too. So you know, just, just realize that everything you think is your brain making deals to try to make a deal so you don't have to stop drinking. 
So you got to stop and get get out of that cycle and just go, okay, first order business is stopping. What do I need to do? I need to either go to Zoom meetings. I need to certainly try to stop. I need to talk to my doctor about whether or not I need any help with detoxing. Uh, and I need to maybe get a therapist with CBT and go to some Zoom 12-step meeting. All of that is available to you. It's available all the time. You could go right now to any of it. And anything else is excuse-making and deal-making. So, Or you're not ready. And that's okay too. That that's on you. That that's for you to decide whether you you know you're ready or not. And it sounds like you're more in this sort of contemplative phase. And um, you know uh, that's good. <laughs> contemplative eventually goes to planning and then action. And so hopefully you can get there pretty quick. Uh, Oscar, thanks for your call. I'm going to go to. Can't. This is uh, is it Leo? Leo in Texas. Is that you? Yeah. Hey man. Yeah. What's happening? Hi, hi doctor. Hey buddy. Um. I was just uh, wondering, just uh, too much masturbation bring down your sex drive or your actual uh, your testosterone? Well, it's interesting. Testosterone follows a sort of a a parabola. If if you're not having enough sex, it goes down, and but it goes up as you're sort of sexually engaged. And then if you do too much, it goes down on the other side. So oh. so there's that uh, and. In, in today's world with porn addiction, for the first time, we're seeing people with uh, erectile dysfunction and libido problems because they're – let's just say your chi is left uh, with the, the, the images of the pornography and not w- engaged with the real world. And that's not a great way to go through life. Um, and so if you are having sex addiction, I mean that's something you ought to think about. Uh, again, look online for some meetings. There are a lot of people that have the porn addiction, man. It's it's very common now. That stuff is a drug. Yeah. Is that what's happening yeah, to, I, to you? I, yeah, it seems like I, I, I dropped the alcohol, the cigarettes, the vaping. Uh, but I ha- I haven't been able to, to, to quit this. So. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the way addictions work is that, that you can replace one with another. People try this all the time. I mean, just Oscar, who I was just talking to, he was already trying to make deals on you know, what he can do other than stopping everything. And people yeah. commonly switch from opiates to cannabis, back to alcohol, to sex, to sex and alcohol, to sex, alcohol, and opiates, some sort of combination to, to, um, to satiate that uh, drive system. So, you know, addiction is a disorder of wanting, right? It's a disorder of a part of your brain that sets motivations. What do you want yeah. to do? What do you – and so all your thinking becomes distorted, right? You, you start thinking things are good ideas that aren't good ideas because that part of your brain is saying, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Anything but stop massaging that part of the brain. It's a part of the brain called the mesolimbic reward system. It's the ventral tegmental inputs into the shell of the nucleus accumbens. And there's other sorts of um, biologies that kick in as the disease goes along where your frontal lobes start closing down. You're not able to use your executive functioning so well. You're not able to predict the future as well. You don't sort of see the consequences of actions. This is all sort of what happens as disease, as the addiction moves along. But fundamentally, it's a disorder of wanting, right? Your brain has two systems, a liking system and a wanting system. And you're, you're sort of saying, hey, am I beating up too much? I don't like doing that so much anymore, but I can't stop. I still want to. And the wanting is the addiction part. And that will settle down with time. But you pretty much always need some help with that. So there's, you know, that's where the whole twelve-step thing comes in. And uh, you know, it's easier now. A lot of people don't like to go to porn addiction meetings, like Sex and Love Addicts (SLA), because it's embarrassing. Uh, but now with Zoom, I mean, you don't have as much an excuse not to go, right? Yeah. If you're, I if you, that, go well, ahead. Well, COVID, and I got COVID back in July, so yeah, yeah. you know, I was a, I was a. Just at home for three weeks in one room, so I was, you know, <laughs> against the boredom, and then that's how it, it all started again. Because I was pretty good; I had gotten off it and for a while, but then it kind of came back with all this. Yeah, and to be fair, I mean, good job, but the the process of treatment is about staying off and giving you the tools to stay off these things because it does always come back. That's that's how we can tell the difference between somebody who's addicted and somebody who's just dependent on something, right? If somebody's dependent yeah. and they have withdrawal and they feel horrible and they get off, they go, Phew, never doing that again, and then they don't. 
But if they kind of keep going back and if they're thinking sort of screwed up and they keep sort of wanting to do stuff and thinking things are good ideas that are not such good ideas, uh, you know, that's when you need some help with that. And it's no big deal. Just, you know, 12-step meetings, Zoom meetings, they're they're available all the time now. Good luck, man. Uh, let's see. Let's go to Jaden. Is that right? Jaden, are you there? Yes. Hey. How are you doing, doctor? Good. What's up? Not too much. Um, I had a question about familial cholesterolemia. Yeah, hypercholesterolemia. Yep. I think I'm getting that right. FH, yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. My mother and I both have it. I've had high cholesterol since I was nine years old was when we did the first test. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was wondering if you had a recommendation on diet for this issue. Well, if I've you have to, FH. I've been doing keto for about a year. Yeah. I haven't gotten my blood test done just because of the whole coronavirus thing. I'm trying to convince my mother to switch it up. I worry well, about her. She had a she had a surgery just a couple months back. Bounced back real well. Well, I, she's I, had a heart attack already as well. Right. So I have no objection to you trying keto. That that you know, if you look at. Uh, uh, is it David Feldman? Is he? Is it? I'm getting the name right. Um, that sounds right. Yeah, he has a lot of data that suggests that that will raise your HDL and that will decrease your triglycerides. But if you have actual genetic FH, you must be on a statin. You, I can't say that okay. strongly enough. The data is okay. overwhelmingly clear about that. You cannot get that LDL down, and you will get heart disease. You will get stroke. And the again, the literature is is very clear that you can alleviate or prevent most of that with proper treatment. Now, in addition to that, if you want to try to get that FH, the, the HDL up and the triglycerides down and your you know, mm-hmm. apolipoprotein C, you're worried about that, uh, that's more a function of metabolic syndrome than familial hypercholesterolemia. You have to realize each of these things is a different genetic setup, different metabolic mm-hmm. setup. For me, I've got a problem with insulin. And it's some resistance. That's gonna. That's probably my. We don't know for sure. I mean, you can look at Peter Atia stuff and sort of. There's a lot of good conversation about it. I kind of think they're right that that's probably the big problem. At least most of the problem with metabolic syndrome. Though I too also take a statin. Now Vinny's always trying to get me off it. Um, I, I, you know, I have horrible vascular disease in my family, and my calcium score is zero, mm-hmm. which is a miracle. It's a miracle, and I've been on this yeah. stuff since I was about forty. Uh, and I got it on early because I was reading the literature and it was obvious that it was a good thing. And it was obvious I was at high risk for stuff. Um, but when it comes to familial hypercholesterolemia, it's even more overwhelmingly clear that uh, you've got to you've got to uh, be on some sort of statin. And again, which statin and which one and whether or not you try Zetia also. Uh, I think, you know, primarily some, you know, things like Crestor or you can just start with the, some of the basic, you know, uh, the usual statins rather than anything fancy if you want to. And now uh, Sabrina, age 25. Sabrina, what's going on? Hi. Um, I have suffered with migraines my entire life, mm-hmm. and they've been debilitating. And as I've gotten older, they've gotten more severe, and they've lasted longer. Mm. But back in July, I started getting one. I just moved to California, and it lasted and lasted. I wound up going to the ER at least twice a month to ha- try to get it aborted and it would continue to last. And now we're a year later and I have the same migraine and every doctor I've been to has been puzzled. And I'm at the point now where I'm just getting medication given to me, medication given to me and it's not working. And I'm having all these other weird symptoms like numbness in my feet and hands. That's pretty painful. I'm throwing up all the time. I can't keep food down. Why is numbness painful? Um, it's just, it's, it's so numb that it's like pinching and needles almost. Mm -hmm. And to use my hands or like walk around on my feet, it it hurts. It's Hmm. it's so numb. It hurts. And and you've seen neurologists for this? Mm Mm-hmm. And I've had Two MRIs done. They originally thought it was MS. Uh-huh. Um, they said all points lead to that, and they said the MRI was negative for MS, and they thought I had a Chiari malformation. Mm. And then Did- they had a second MRI done, and that was 
overruled. And did they so do nothing? A, did, did they do a lumbar puncture? Because that's really how multiple sclerosis is sort of ruled out. Spinal oh t- no, they didn't. They tap. didn't tell me about that at all. Yeah. So I mean, it sounds like you've sort of had incomplete sort of workup. Where, where do you live? California. What part? Um, I'm in Sacramento. So, I mean, uh, maybe go to the medical school at, at Davis and see if uh, – there's a medical school there, isn't there? I believe yes, there is, I yeah. actually did go to Davis. That was the first place I went. And, and that was when I got the first MRI and I had the neurologist there and she said, I don't see anything. This just seems like a normal migraine to me. Was that before – I was like, this isn't – Was that before the pins and needles stuff? No, that was after. Hmm. That was when the decline started to really happen. And I haven't been able to work like after six months into it. I had to leave my job because I was in the medical field in a lab with like PPE and headgear on all the time. And I couldn't do it. I was vomiting in my mask and I was like falling over. I passed out twice. And and just so we're <clears throat> just so we're sort of, com- you know, the, the brain is a is a complete instrument and, and psychiatric problems can also affect the brain. Is there is there any history of psychiatric disorders? Um, in my family, uh, my brother is autistic and my mom suffers from depression and anxiety. And did you but have, did you have any trauma growing up? Um, I had an abusive home. <laughs> really growing bad. Up. Bad. Yeah, pretty bad. Just physically abusive, emotionally abusive, sexually abusive, all the above? All, all the and, above. And what age did the sexual abuse start? Um, uh, young, I would say like five, and five who, probably. And how long did that go on for? Uh, till I was about 10, and who nine was, or 10 is who, when it, who when was, it stopped. Who was the perpetrator? My father. Oh my God. So this is major trauma, right? And so your mm-hmm. your ability to process what comes out of your body is going to be disorganized and painful because the body is the source of all this pain during the trauma. And there's, okay. a, there's a part of the brain called the insula cortex that's designed to manage all that. But when you've been traumatized, that region of the brain is disorganized and a source of distress. So – there, there can be something going on neurologically, but that the magnitude of it becomes, you know, a four-alarm fire because of all the trauma. And unless you get that trauma fixed, it's impossible to regulate, really actually to figure out even what's going on, but it's impossible to regulate what's coming out of your body. You, you understand what I'm saying? When the when you were a child, mm-hmm, the, body, the body was the source of your distress, and that causes people to dissociate from their body in such a way – that what then starts coming out of the body later in life is disorganized and overwhelming and shattering and painful. and But it's just this disorganized, painful output of really your body still telling the, the story of terror from when you were being sexually abused by your own father. I mean, there's nothing. It can definitely, I can definitely see where you're going with it, too, because like. <clears throat> All the time I'm getting all these new symptoms and my body, like, it truly doesn't know how to react to it right. so, at all. So, it so doesn't there, know how to cope with it. It doesn't know anything. It's the, just, like, bombarded with all these things. That's right. And then, then that, that feeds into your brain as this is a, a life-threatening problem. <clears throat> Even though it may be relatively mild or non-threatening, your brain is receiving it as overwhelming. And disorganized and uh, in unmanageable, so there are probably a couple things going on, right? And so at least you should go get your trauma treated, so you can start to regulate and process whatever it is that's. that's I mean, it may all just be migraine, right? And maybe you're hyperventilating mm-hmm. because of the migraine because of the dysregulation. So you're hyperventilating all the time, and that guess what? That causes pins and needles in your in your hands and feet. Do you have it around your mouth mm-hmm. too? I do not. And I also, another thing that I just remembered too, if I could add, I also, it feels better when I apply pressure to my head too, or my fiance like applies pressure to my head. It's almost as if the migraine itself, like it'll be at like an 11 pain and it'll drop down to a two. Right. So that suggests it's actually not a migraine, but what's called a scalp tension headache, which can be equally as distressing and cause vomiting. 
but it's not a migraine. It's a scalp tension headache, which goes along with all this unregulated, you know, sort of distress coming out of your body, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it's you're you're complicated. Congratulations. <laughs> um, I still Don't feel lie. I still feel like you should be. You know, I I don't want you to go. Oh, just put it all in the trauma bucket. I, I think you need trauma. You 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 need that whether you're having migraines or not, right? But mm-hmm. but you should have the trauma therapy, and you should pe- keep having very systematic medical care, so somebody stays on top of that and helps you sort out what's medical neurological and what's the trauma. It's a, it's a lot. It's a lot, Sabrina, and, and it's affecting your ability to work now. So please do take advantage of, of getting some help with this. Thank you, Sabrina. And Ilya, what's going on? 32. Hey, Dr. Drew, how are you doing? Good, you? I'm doing okay. So I'm, I am I live in uh, Kentucky, and uh, we have a governor. I kind of refer to him as Gavin Newsom White. <laughs> um, he... Uh, is allowing our gyms and our, uh, you know, studios to stay open. Um, but they have to wear a mask while they're working out. So like at one of my gyms, you have to wear a mask while you're on the treadmill at, uh, at there's a yoga studio, there's cycling classes where you have to wear a mask while you're doing that. Is that good for you or not? Because no, nobody's really being honest to me about it. And, I just feel I went to a class last night and it I just felt horrible afterwards. Well, I mean, it, look, you're you're drawing air, it's hard, right? Your the work of breathing can be increased. And if you wear a loose fitting mask, like a little surgical mask, which is what you should be doing, you're exposing yourself to aerosols. So the effect of the mask is sort of diminished quite a bit. But, you know, the the game is you don't want to spread through droplets and you can reduce that risk by having something over your mouth and mouth and nose. Again, masks are not perfect and they do not pre- and many of them don't protect against aerosol spread, which is a significant problem. But they're harmless. They're harmless. But but yeah, if you're on a treadmill for 45 minutes, the work of breathing, if you have something over your mouth is going to be harder. Uh, but it doesn't harm you. I mean, as somebody who's able to be on a treadmill and work out diligent hard is not going to have a problem with a mask. Okay. Oh, I was just uh, being sure about that. I appreciate uh, your response to this. You got it. Good luck with all that. That's that's. Thank you. Don't don't draw the the line at the mask. Let the mask be and wear the mask and at least they keep your gyms open. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. You're allowed to have open gyms. We're not allowed to have that here. And um, again, no evidence. Um, no evidence that there is spread through gyms. There's just no science for that. In fact, uh, the closing down of restaurants is the silliest thing in the world as well. The very solution that the public health officials want, which is dining outdoors, now they're going back on that and saying that's got to be shut down too. Why? Just because. And they actually, there is actually one piece of scientific data. They studied it in Miami. They saw what happened when they closed down the restaurants. And guess what? It drove people home. They gathered in their home, and they spread it in the home. Uh, Cal, what's going on? Hey, how you doing, Dr. Drew? Good. What's happening? Uh- I was calling um, basically to ask you, um, with us being so close to the holidays and um, it being so many things going on with the pandemic and the elections and stuff, um, A, does music really help with inciting hope? And if so, what type of music would you say might give hope for the holidays? Um, again, so you're asking a physician a... a, a uh you know, a, a, a question that requires evidence. And I don't know of any study where people have looked at this, and I don't know how they would design that study, in fact, and what kind of assumptions they would make. But so there's no study out there where I can say, hey, this is, this is what, how you enhance hope. Uh, in fact, hope is one of the most difficult things to get people to uh, grab onto. Hope and gratitude are very tough. Um, and so hope... <laughs> in my experience, has only been about um, support. So it's been emotional support and then uh, convincing people that their thinking may be uh, distorted. Uh, the negative thought process, uh, so it's through, through sort of cognitive behavioral techniques, people's negative thinking can be kind of turned around and that has an evidence basis to it. But I don't know what 
how, how music would fit into that. What, what do you think? Well, basically, I guess with music and depression, I know how some people say that depression um, sometimes can be helped with music. So I was wondering if, if you're going to maybe holiday blues, if maybe there may be some type of music that could give you, that could help you fight your holiday depression, you know, because you may be either, you know, lonely or needing hope, you right, know, right. to inspire you to feel a little bit better during these right. times, especially with so many things, you know, mentally right. happening externally. So you know? that has been studied. They looked at uh, uh, classical music and exercise uh, as, a, in, as a treatment for depression, and it actually does pretty well. So it can change. You see, you're, you're asking about a psychological principle, hope, versus a neurobiological process, depression. And neurobiological processes can be altered by music. Obviously, we all know we change our affect states, our mood when we listen to music. But whether or not we can actually induce a psychological state like hope um, you could argue that gospel music is about that, uh, you know, and certain certain religious music is sort of designed to try to do that, right? To give people wow, hope yeah. and purpose. <laughs> yeah, and, and so uh, I don't know that it's been studied, but it seems to me that people do that at a pretty large scale. So people, it should be doing something <laughs> for somebody, right? Yeah, yeah. So that would be my guess. How about what do you think? That's- what do you think? Um, I actually think that you actually have a point. Um, for me, music is really, really big, and um, I love music. I love all types of music, um, and I can see how it can help. Um, you know, I thought it would be an interesting question. It is a great, it's a, a, it's a great question. It's a great. You made me think about it, and it's an interesting question. But, but I and I think if you can get yourself, I'm just trying to. You know, I'm thinking that's you know just it's really just uh, spitballing here. <laughs> if you if you can improve your mood, you're going to have more hope. Uh, and if the music itself is hopeful and inspirational, I, that makes sense to me that it would uh, have have that effect you're looking for. Thanks, Cal. Appreciate that question. All right. While we wait for another caller, can I ask you a coronavirus question? Yeah, let's do it. So I'm not so concerned with myself or my wife. We're definitely of a an age group that your wife the- is concerned though. She is, <laughs> she is, but she's listening to me. She's, uh, she's, she's worried about the baby. To be she's fair, she's hearing logic. Yeah, yeah, she's she's worried about the baby. But when I tell her you say something, it tends to resonate, and she right. calms down a little bit. Okay, but uh, you know, as we as we head into the holidays, she is worried about her family. You know, her parents are of an advanced age. How so old are mine? They? How old are they? Uh, late sixties, early seventies. So so right in the right border. on the edge. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Are they healthy? Uh, by all accounts, yes. Does anybody have metabolic syndrome? This no. Is the, this is the thing that people don't take into account. They they think they hear underlying medical problems and they and they think you're talking about cancer or something like that. But really, what we're talking about is your me- metabolic health. Strangely, that seems to be a major cofactor in this illness. So, if you're obese, if you have hypercholesterolemia, hypertension, insulin resistance, antiphospholipid syndrome. My Kalen's got that antiphospholipid syndrome. That dude needs to watch out. That is an inflammatory condition. Even though he's young and everything, he's in a special category where I've seen this thing be brutal. And to just ease your memory, he is finally taking it seriously. Oh, no, there, I know. He's been wearing masks even around this place. So, yes, he which has. Is, which is there, sort was, of, there was a few weeks sort of, there after you yelled at him where he just kept coming in and going about his business. Oh. This particular week as we are recording this oh. when a bunch of the guys just got back from Florida, he's not even coming in. Yeah. That's, so that's he's reasonable. being smart about it. That's reasonable. So so here's somebody that really has to watch themselves. But in terms of your family and the your older but not elderly parents – if anybody has central obesity, if they're hypertension, hypercholesterolemia, that kind of stuff, that's that is a state of sort of we're beginning to think of it now as chronic inflammation. You've heard that sort of in the vapors for a long time, but it's pretty clear now that adipose tissue, fat in and around the central part of your body, is inflammatory. And by inflammatory, we seem to be talking about cytokine activation. Cytokine are these mediators of these sort of chemical messengers that mediate inflammation. They in, they uh, cause white cells to move and to uh, unload their products and cause cell destruction and tissue destruction and inflammation. And it can be more subtle than that. These these interleukins and, and the JK and even the trans the signal transducing mechanisms within the cell is all part of these these inflammatory processes. And uh, for the first time. 
in my career, this is this biology, although we've as physicians have been aware of it forever, it's something we talk about every day. And something that's uh, top of mind on the tip of our tongue. We're very familiar with it now in a way that we probably weren't before. And uh, as such, we may come up with sort of ways of measuring immune function. I'm working with a company called Aditix. I'm actually, as we record this, about to go out to Richmond, Virginia and have my immune function tested in terms of memory T cells and helper T cells and the cross-reactivity with other coronaviruses and whether or not my immunoglobulin levels as it pertains to, say, things like measles are up and whether that affects the immune readiness and how all that immunological functioning is affected by these inflammatory mediators. These are very complicated biological questions that we're beginning to dig into in a meaningful way. I predict we may have ways of sort of monitoring our immune system and that immune function may be a surrogate for what's going on from an inflammatory standpoint. So these are all really interesting baseline questions that we're starting to dig into. Also, this whole cytokine system, it I, I predict, is going to be part of how we think about septicemia. Have you ever heard of sepsis or when we say that bacteria breaks into the bloodstream and overwhelms somebody? A lot of that may be mediated by the cytokine system now. And so we may go and approach sepsis differently as a result of all the experimentation we've done with this whole class of medication. Whenever you see the MAB, NAB, at the end of a, at the end of a drug, that's a monoclonal antibody, loranlimab. These sorts of things are monoclonal antibodies directed at specific inflammatory mediators in this case, IL-6 inhibitors, JK inhibitors. Rantes inhibitors, these are all things that we might be able to deploy if we – it's going to take a while to study all this stuff against all kinds of things now that we've never thought of before. So the, so it's interesting. Coronavirus is going to not just change the landscape of um, uh, vaccines but also therapeutics for other conditions. And I'm hoping it changes how we think about end-of-life issues too. Let me, I, let me take this call and then I will I – will, that's a whole other big topic. Headspace, everyone. That's right. It's your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. And I think everyone knows about mindfulness and the potential benefits. Headspace is the only meditation app advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever your situation, Headspace can help you feel better. Whether you're overwhelmed, anxious, depressed, Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. If you need some help falling asleep, Headspace has a wind-down session that members swear by. And for, say, parents, Headspace even has meditations you can do with your kids. Ten minutes of your day can make a world of difference in your life. We all know the benefits of taking time working on, say, your physical well-being. How about your mental health? That's right. Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule anytime, anywhere. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash drew. Again, that is headspace, H-E-A-D-S-P-A-C-E dot com slash drew for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditation for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash drew immediately. Summer's behind us. All the change of the fall is about us. We're going to get this COVID thing under control. Our kids are going to be back in school But it's going to be extra difficult to find time for you. The time you need to take care of yourself and look your best. With Plexiderm, all you need is 10 minutes and you can look 10 years younger. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that gives your appearance the right kind of changes. Visibly reduce wrinkles, fine lines, and even under eye bags in just minutes. Take up to 10 years off your appearance in less than 10 minutes. The results last for hours, so you can take your family out for a big weekend. You can try a six-application trial pack for just $14.95 with free shipping when you visit buyplex, B-U-I-P-L-X, dot com slash Drew, or just call 800-685-1292, and then say the code Drew. This order also comes with free shipping and a 30-day money-back guarantee. Make those wrinkles, lines, under-eye bags disappear with Plexiderm. Visit buyplex, B-U-I-P-L-X, dot com, buyplex, dot com slash Drew, or call 800 800- Six eight five one two nine two again eight hundred six eight five one two nine two and then say the code Drew at checkout. Uh, Rich, what's going on? Hey Drew, how are you doing? Good. What's up? Hey, uh, you know I got a question for you. Um, uh, I, I'm my doctor's telling me to to go for testosterone replacement TRT. Yeah, and you know my the last couple times I've been tested. 
and I'm testing in the morning like you're supposed to because apparently that's your highest level. You know, your testosterone will be yeah, during the varies, day. Varies, yeah, varies, and, and, and they're, su- they're sub-200. And I've definitely noticed, like, um, difficulty concentrating, difficulty, in, you know, making decisions, things like that where mm-hmm. I need to, you know, do something and then move on. And uh, I'm just wondering... I know there's a lot of negatives taking it, and I'm just a little bit worried. And I, I know that you've struggled because of your prostate issue, and you don't take testosterone, correct? Yeah, I, I would love to. Uh, and and again, you're not talking about and you know taking anabolic androgenic steroids. You're talking about replacing no. a deficiency. So you're trying to get your testosterone levels back up to four to six hundred, maybe something like that, which would be normal-ish levels. We again, testosterone is a weird. It's a hard drug to replace, hard chemical to replace, because we don't know what normal is for a given individual. It might be 800. It might be 300. So trying to, you know, it's not like thyroid where we where there is a normal range for everybody. Testosterone has this wide variability from at least 200 to 800. So restoring the normal levels is one thing, and that is a good thing. That has lots of therapeutic values and very little downside. So it's it, it can protect your bones, as you said. It can protect your brain, your ability to concentrate, and your mood. And there's uh, immune function is obviously enhanced. Um, and there's almost no downside to it. Uh, it's not, but if you're if you're raising your testosterone levels well above 800, we have all kinds of concerns about your liver, about your kidneys, about your uh, vascular health. But normal replacement, we 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 consider that a good thing. What I object to is that people are seen by a family practitioner or a general internist and a measurement is made, much like your temperature is taken, and they go, oh, you have a fever. You, your problem is elevated temperature. <laughs> no, something <laughs> is causing your elevated temperature, something with a name, a diagnosis, that we should be going after for treatment. We shouldn't be treating anything till we know what the diagnosis is. And the same is true with testosterone replacement. I, I, it makes me very unhappy that uh, doctors just go, oh, it's low. Let's replace it. No, you need to see an endocrinologist. You need to have a diagnostic workup, and it needs to be explained. Why is your testosterone level? Are you having pituitary failure? Are you obese? Mm-hmm. Or is there something going on in your testes where they're being attacked immunologically? What the hell is going on? And then replace your testosterone. That's fine. But, but diagnosis first. Did they do any of that workup? You know, it's been a general practitioner and twice, and I think the same thing. I do think I need to go to, like, an endocrinologist yeah, yeah. and really do a workup. And should I have a workup on my thyroid done at the same time? They, usually will, they usually will do that because if, the, if, if there's some immune dysfunction that's attacking your testosterone production, usually other, org- other endocrine organs are affected as well. So absolutely, absolutely. So good for you. Good instinct. And uh, – 100%. Go see an endocrinologist and and then by all means get replacement. But uh, at least – and by the way, you may end up with unknown cause, you know, low testosterone, undetermined cause. That's okay. Uh, at least you've been through the sort of workup to rule out things that can be determined. And indeterminate – one of the good things about indeterminate is we also know that's not dangerous. We know there's not something going on that we have to worry about. So, and by the way, if anybody else is ex- experiencing this kind of thing and it's re- around and related to obesity, please do lose the weight because uh, f- fat, in addition to being inflammatory, like I was just talking about, also produces estrogen and drives testosterone down. So, let me do a minute. Thanks, thanks, Rich, for the call uh, on end of life stuff. You need to be talking about this. I don't care how old you are. If you if uh, you need to be talking about your wishes uh, with your family and people that might end up being decision makers for you. And by the way, specify who you want to be the decision makers. Um, there are. I mean, do you ever want to be in a nursing home, for instance? You know, we've been through this whole pandemic where the predominant population that was uh, experienced fatality was nursing home. The average stay in a nursing home before after admission to death is six to eighteen months, and the six to eighteen months I assure you are not cool. They're not fun. Uh, I don't ever want to be in a nursing home. I worked in nursing homes. I could keep people alive for very long periods of time in really horrible states. 
But the family demands it. The patient left uh, – you know, didn't, either didn't leave directions or left directions to you know, do everything possible. Uh, that That is not living, everybody. And uh, you, you, I don't know you want to burden your family with that or the system with that even. So make those things, kind of things clear. And when there's no meaningful existence ahead, get very specific about what your wishes are going to be so there's no question about it when the time comes. Um, okay, got some interesting calls here. This is John. John, what's up? Hey, Dr. Drew, what's going on? I just uh, tested positive for COVID on Monday. Congratulations. Um, Good times. And just wanted to know if uh, there's anything to do. The worst is kind of, it's kind of at the tail end now. I was just wondering if there's anything I could do to other than taking Dayquil and zinc. What, uh, kind of get, like, what were your symptoms? Smell and taste back. What were your symptoms? Fever, chills. Started like nine days ago. I oh, actually okay. got a test last Monday after I was exposed and tested negative, and then it started getting worse. Um, my sister's a, a doctor. She said that you know if, if you get tested too early, sometimes there could be a false negative. Yep, um, pretty common. So I went back and got the rapid test on Monday and came back positive. So so there you go. Um, uh, good news yep. is you had mild to moderate uh, disease, which is great. Uh, you don't really need to do anything with that, frankly, but uh, I like that you're taking zinc. Some people say you should increase the zinc to 50 milligrams when you're sick like this. Um, early, something like ivermectin might have been helpful, but now I would say no. Uh, the question is whether any steroids should be used, and that would only be if you start to have that sort of inflammatory phase of the illness. You still should keep an eye on your O2 saturation. Do you, do you have an O2 monitor? Yeah, my dad bought me one actually okay. with the oximeter. Yeah, little pulse. How's, yep. how's that been? Ninety-two to ninety-five. Okay, so you're fine that way. And the probability of you are you overweight or anything? No, I'm yeah. six two one eighty. I'm fine. Yeah, the, the probability of you getting any of that component of the illness is actually rather low. Um, do you take aspirin? Not regularly, but I have some. So, you know, well, the other dreaded con- part of the the Hover syndrome is the the clotting, right? The the inflammatory process, and sometimes people present with just the clotting phenomenon. Um, aspirin might do a little bit, you know, like take just take three hundred twenty five milligrams every day of coated aspirin. And uh, and again, I'm not giving you specific advice. You should be talking about this with the doctor. So this is what we would do at cases like this. Um, and there was a – you talked to your doctor about persantine. There was a study out that really looked pretty good with persantine and the more traditional anticoagulants aren't doing that much. And then, of course, vitamin C and vitamin D seem to be very good. People are actually starting to look at vitamin D as a therapeutic uh, in in COVID. So are you taking vitamin D? Uh, a multivitamin, but no, I'll uh, add that to the Yeah, rating. get D. Get like, you know, at least for the week or so, 5,000 units a day, something like that. Just a, a moderately high dose of D seems to be uh, helpful. And then 50 of zinc. And, uh, you know, people talk about quercetin and things like that. I, I don't think that's necessary at this stage of the thing. You're, you're, you're sort of at the, what you, call, what you would call the convalescent phase of the viral component of the illness. And what you want to keep an eye out for is the inflammatory condition that can follow up to a week or two afterwards. And you just watch your O2 saturation, how you're generally feeling. You're going to do fine. Statistically, the probability of trouble with you is very low. Uh, Corey, what's going on? Hi, doctor. Um, I have type 2 diabetes. I'm overweight. I have high blood pressure. Am I considered high risk or um, we'll get the vaccine? How much do you weigh? Uh, 170. 170? So you're not that overweight, right? Well, I, I lost a lot of weight because I was scared of the COVID, so I dropped 25 pounds. Good for you. That that That's that's good intervention for COVID <coughs> management. Well done. Uh, keep that's doing that. Good. Keep working on that. That'll help your diabetes and everything else. Um, you know, another 10 or 15, man, you'll be in good shape. Uh, and you will. Okay. And you could move out of that risk category that you're worried about. Really obese people don't respond to vaccines very well, which is something that we don't talk about uh, very much. And um, you're not in that category, but you are in a risk category generally. However, you're not in the group that they're talking about vaccinating off the top. They, they, okay. the, there was some uh, press release this morning. Pfizer is talking about rolling this out in the next week or two. 
and they're saying healthcare provider. Well, the government, the HHS, is actually providing the guidance, which is nursing home and healthcare providers. Now, whether the states listen to that and they do something different, we'll see. But you're probably going to be later on in the winter before they uh, vaccinate folks like you. But again, you're probably going to respond. You're you're not so obese yet. You're not going to respond to the vaccine, which is good news. I would definitely get it too, Corey. Jim, what's going on? How you doing? Hey. How you doing, Drew? I'm good. What's happening? Hey, so I'm here in Pennsylvania. Actually, we're noticing all the people that are wearing a mask in the car uh-huh. following the governor's uh, policies, which is quite funny. Uh-huh. Um, I just, uh, I, I'm curious just to get your thoughts on hydroxychloroquine and where things are at and where things stand right now. You know, I, I've traveled to India a few times. I was on it when I traveled prophylactically for malaria. And I, I can't help but think that our medical institutions and the New England Journal and the fact that they buried a lot of that data, I, I'm curious just to get your thoughts on where yeah, things stand it, it was, it was the It's been the weirdest damn thing. It's been so bizarre. Uh, he, here's the basic frame. Um, doctors around the world are using it. They think they're using it to good effect. The point at which they're using it and expecting it to be efficacious is very early in the illness, like immediately when you get the fever. Two or three days in, no. They, they don't expect it to be useful. And yet, all the research was done on severe illness in the hospital, which is never where it was supposed to be deployed, ever. I, well, not never, I shouldn't say. At the beginning, we weren't really sure, but it became very clear quickly that this was an antiviral. It needed to be used in the early phases of the viral reproduction, if it's going to have any effect at all. And that research still seems not to have been done. The only peer-reviewed data out there is by Dr. Zelenko. And I interviewed Dr. Zelenko. He's just an interesting guy with some interesting ideas. And he himself has sarcoma. He's 70-something years old. And he says he's treated around five to 10,000 COVID cases without a mask. And he's convinced by taking hydroxychloroquine, he has, prevent, he has been prevented from getting it. Now, there are many other potential explanations. That's just an observation. And same with his peer-reviewed study. It's an observational study. But he has had remarkably good results keeping people out of the hospital. The theory is that the hydroxychloroquine uh, gets the zinc inside the cells, and the zinc has the antiviral properties. Um, quercetin also gets zinc in. There, he also has another approach using ivermectin when people get sick. And ivermectin has also been used all over the world, particularly in Central and South America, to great effect, it seems. And yet, just because I had that conversation with him where I was just picking his brain about listening to his observations and his data, YouTube took my interview with him off the, off the YouTube and said it was a misinforma- disinformation. So, so just two doctors having a medical, a, a scientific conversation about potential therapeutics. And by the way, this is the piece that people miss. When something comes on in medicine, we immediately begin improvising and trying things and then sharing the ideas amongst ourselves. The research, particularly in psychiatry, is to see this all the time. The research often lags behind what we do clinically several years. I mean, I've, this, this is, I've seen this in my career many, many times where, where people are using medication to great effect and there just isn't any science to substantiate it. Yet because we share the ideas amongst ourselves, we see it clinically, we want to do what's best for our patients. So obviously we do these things and then the research catches on with it. Right now that's kind of happening with hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. There are doctors talking about this amongst themselves and using it and seemingly using it to good effect while it's being actively suppressed. I I can't imagine, and it's only in the United States. Well, it's Western Europe and the United States. And it's the most bizarre thing in the world. You didn't know about this, Gary? No, I did know about this. I was just wondering, can you think of another time in no. your... <laughs> Never. Where, Nothing where like Where doctors this. have to get together like it's a speakeasy and talk about drugs? Like it's the French fucking underground. What, are we, what is this? I, like, I know. It is the... It is, it is the Gulag Archipelagos, guys. You should revisit that book. I heard a story see. about a, a gentleman I know who got, uh, who got COVID, 
And his doctor, when suggesting treatments to him, said, I don't know what your politics are, but hydroxychloroquine, where does that sentence I, I fit know. in medicine? I, 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 it, well, what are we, what are we welcome, talking about? Welcome. I, you can't imagine how, how astonishing it is to me. I'm sorry. You're my doctor. And that <laughs> question, you know, obviously we yeah. have a relationship where that would never come up. But it's like, if you told me to go jump off a cliff, I'd think about it a little bit. But in general, I'd just follow your advice. You might, you're, you're certainly at your liberty to go, what's the evidence for that? What's your experience yeah, been? And maybe I would Question do that. Question a little bit. Sure. Ultimately, absolutely. if you came back with, well, the the, the trip down is going to really help your health. I, I just, okay. You know a lot more than me. I, <laughs> You'll get high. Uh, yeah, this is astonishing. I, I can tell you, I mean, you should, you know, again, do discuss all these things with your doctors, but I, um, if I got sick, I would take ivermectin and zinc. That's what I would do. Uh, and I would be, and I would be fast to the, fast to the decadron. I'd be using the decadron early. That's for me. Now, uh, I have used hydroxychloroquine in patients and I've used steroids in patients with severe, uh, COVID, uh, most of them did rather well. So I have a question for you on this. I, I did speak to my doctor and said, look, I'd like to have a, um, a hydroxy pack available just in case. He's not able to prescribe it for me in Pennsylvania. So right. That's the other thing. They actually have laws around. He's been restricted. Yeah, so what do, how does, what does a guy like me do in a state that has clamped down on access to the drug? I, I, there are many states like that, which is bizarre. Um, think about ivermectin. Uh, the actual data looks actually. I'm 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 sort of lukewarm on hydroxychloroquine. I'm 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 not convinced it's a good and uh, prophylactic. Uh, even though Doctor Zelenko says you know he's treated five thousand people and not gotten it, uh, he may have other immunological you know sort of idiosyncratic aspects to his his biology that prevents him from getting who knows or cross reactivity with other coronaviruses and by the way there's been some great data out late, lately that shows that measles vaccine may confer a certain amount of immunological if you remember gary we had uh, the measles outbreak and i revaccinated everybody including myself and i'm really glad i did that because what is in common with obese people and el- very elderly Obese people don't respond to the measles vaccine very well, and the elderly, the vaccine wears off. And there's been some decent studies that shows that the, if you have a robust measles, actually the mumps, I think, is the important part, response, you're somewhat protected against corona. Very interesting stuff. Anyway, talk to your doctor about ivermectin. You can still get that. It's a worm medicine. It's safe. It's been used around the world. Something like 100 micrograms per kilogram, which for an average size male is about 12, mil- 12 milligrams a day. Um, and you only take it for a couple of days, and it has very powerful antiviral activities. And the reality is, remember, Jim, for the most part, you're going to be fine anyway. You can, if you have mild yeah. disease, you can just relax. Uh, the, the, the real intervention is after the acute viral illness when you get the inflammatory component, and that's where Decadron has an important role. Hey, thanks for, uh, thanks for the perspective. Yeah, isn't it crazy that uh, my, a t- conversation between two doctors was uh, was specifically um, what's the word I'm looking for when you silence people and uh, um, oh, come on, what's the word, everybody? Where you suppression? Authoritative. Well, that's all good <laughs> words, but but when you when you censor, I was specifically censored because yeah. I was having a, a scientific conversation about peer reviewed data. Peer reviewed data. Uh, somebody at Google decides that's dangerous information. These are people that just learned how to pronounce these things. They'd never heard of hydroxychloroquine, a drug I've been using for 35 fucking years. And I've never seen a single side effect from it. Been using it forever in lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. It was first line back when I was uh, a youngster in medicine. And they just learned how to pronounce it, and they have an opinion. Think about that. It's super duper hey, we got to follow the science, Drew. Yeah, just follow the science, Jim. We're doing that here in <laughs> L.A. County. We're, we're locking it down, people. We're closing outdoor restaurants after following the science to put can, food outdoors. How do you live in L.A.? You, you've got to follow Ruben and the other guys and get out of L.A. It, well, it's really, I'd be following Rogan and uh, Segura to, d- down to, uh, down to uh, uh, Austin. But no, I, I have decided, Jim, that I'm going to fight it out. I've decided that... I've been here my whole life. I really just had a conscious – one day I just thought, this place has great potential. It's worth fighting for. I'm going to stay and fight. Uh, and I'm pretty ensconced here, so it's hard for me. Thanks for the call, Jim. Uh, Ryan, what's going on there? Hey, Dr. Drew. Hey, How buddy. you doing? I'm Good. What's a big up? fan. Uh, very happy to be a, be a part of this. Thank you for taking my call. You win. Um, yeah, not to, uh, to quickly – not to change uh, change gears, but my nephew – 
I was recently diagnosed with San Filippo syndrome, MPS2. Mm. Um, are you familiar with it? It's basically childhood yeah, Alzheimer's. It's, it's, uh, it's fatal. Well, it's, mu- um, it's not, it, it's not it Alzheimer's. About- hang on, hang on. It's not Alzheimer's. Yep. It's, yep. It's, it's mucopolysaccharide disease. It's an inborn error of metabolism. So muco, it's called mucopolysaccharidosis, and it's rare. It's mm-hmm. an autosomal recessive, what's called lysosomal storage disease. So you don't store fats normally, essentially, or, or mucopolysaccharides, mm-hmm. and they build up, and they build up in the brain and the spinal cord and, and destroy things. It's awful. Yeah, yeah, he has, he has type C. So now this talk about some gene therapies, and it seems to be really promising and I know the whole San Filippo community is really doing a lot of fundraising. In fact, um, my uh, my brother has been getting out, trying to get on the media, and uh, again the newspapers trying to trying to push trying to push his site, SaveConnor dot com, to try and and raise the money for this gene therapy. They say um, that they're that they're getting close. Have you heard about any of this? I think it's University yes, of it is. Texas or look, something. Look, this here's the reality. Uh, yes. Th- these are there are many, many hundreds of inborn errors of metabolism that are genetically based that cause destructive mm-hmm. illness in children, and they are horrible, and they're yes. heartbreaking, and uh, the parents, of course, are desperate. We yes. are beginning in the very earliest stages. Things like Batten's disease and San Filippo syndrome and all these, you know, all these disorders, getting towards the ability to think about using CRISPR technology and other things, gene therapies. You will mm-hmm. be if you can get in there early before the mucopolysaccharides, the essentially the gly, uh, glycosaminoglycans build up. You can help with this progress of this thing, but the probability okay. is that you can alter the course of this child's illness is very unlikely. You'll be helping others many decades down the line by pushing the research forward, but this is research that is at the very, 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 very beginning stages, and we don't know the untoward effects as well. Now, is it possible some miracle breakthrough will come through for a given child? Yeah, and and it's worth fighting for. And it's worth fighting for because you are going to be pushing the the envelope forward for other children where one day we will be able to repair inborn errors of metabolism uh, with with genetic with genetic uh, uh, alterations with with uh, adjusting the genome so I, I don't want to discourage you from that but I want to sort of manage your expectation for for a given child it's very rough stuff so all right, man. Thank you for your call. Gary, thank you for uh, sitting in with me while we answer some interesting stuff. Any last-minute uh, questions or anything? You're, you... um, yeah, I mean, I guess my, my last question just briefly here would be, you know, we've discussed this a little bit on the Adam and Dr. Drew show, but uh, as a husband of a, a wife with a young child who wants to see her family over the holidays, what are best practices? Is there <laughs> is there a thing? Well, like, here's I, something I – I'm glad you asked because here's a piece that I want to inject into everybody's thinking that nobody does. And you asked, you asked this the right way, which was best practices. Here is a best practice. Ask the people who are at risk what they want. What, how protected do they want to be? I had this conversation. I'm, I'm not going to tell you with whom, but the, uh, sort of a high-profile person whose son is in the military who's in training, and he doesn't want to interrupt his training. And I said – Ask him how much risk he's willing to take. If the if the response of the elderly person or the person who needs to not get exposed is, I want zero risk, that's a very different situation than somebody who says, I'm 75 years old. I only have a couple of Thanksgiving left. Are, are you kidding me? I want to fully experience my Thanksgiving for a remote risk of right. getting something from you guys because Adam went to Florida forget it and let's the go have our Thanksgiving and if if the if the 75 year old says that go have your Thanksgiving yeah be careful no the latter is definitely what we're dealing with and we're planning a hybrid much more outdoor yeah, indoor outdoors, mix, whatever distancey, no kissing yeah. just to be sensible 
But but if they were to say zero risk, if they were to, just some people will say that. No, for sure. Very few, by the way. All my patients say, "Are you what the hell? I want to want to see my grandkids. I mean, this may be my last Thanksgiving. What the? My daughter needs to shut up. I want to go see my grandkids and want to see my grandkids is exactly yeah. the instance I'm dealing with. You know, but, but if they say zero, then it's zoom. If they do, if that's it's zero, then it's, fine, but then it's zoom. But in my case, the grandparents, you know, my parents who have a. Yeah. One and a half year old grandson yeah, yeah. are just desperate to see him. That's yeah, all they want. Yeah, of course. So, so again, it's uh, it's if it, if but if if your parents on the other hand were to say zero, then you're going to zoom with them. That's that's a different thing. Yeah, different if they thing. were to so say best that, practices are adjusting to the risk you're willing to tolerate or the people at risk are willing to tolerate. And if you feel they're making terrible judgments, like they're they're being unrealistic. Have that conversation too, because sure. sometimes they could be in denial about what their risks are, and, and make sure they're properly assessing things. Uh, but don't leave the at-risk group out of the conversation. I agree. That's the insane part of all this. It's like people are, oh, "We got to save grandmother." Yeah, grandmother didn't. Mean, grandmother may want nothing to do with this. Grandmother may want to see grandson. Period. End of story. All right, everybody, have a great holiday. Good to see you. Uh, thank you for the calls, and we'll see you next time. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes. Only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Ready to get away from it all? Free yourself with Pluto TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yeah, free. No contracts, no subscriptions, no fees. Imagine 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, Survivor, and everything else from hit movies to binge-worthy TV shows, the latest news, live sports, comedy, and more. What are you waiting for? Download the free Pluto TV app for Android or iPhone and start watching now. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free.